0: You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Turn, if you would, uh, back to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be there again this morning. Uh, We are continuing Uh, in our sermon series called The Bible Says, where uh, we've been looking at many of the core uh, doctrines of the Christian faith uh, to see what the Bible actually says, uh, rather than just, you know, what we've been taught by tradition or the world around us. Um, And today, uh, we're going to be talking about the topic of the church So turn to Hebrews chapter 10, uh, and as you do so, let me go ahead and pray for our time this morning. Father, we are so thankful just for all the opportunities that we have had the last several weeks to study uh, these different doctrines of the faith. Uh, We are thankful for the opportunity last week to see the importance of the Bible, uh, the power that it has to transform our lives. Uh, And now we pray that that you'd help us to understand the importance of the church as well. Help us to see what it means to love the church and to be the church. We just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen. So here from the word of the Lord this morning, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, So last week, I began with some statistics about the Bible, and I want to give you a few more statistics before we begin our conversation uh, about the church. Uh, And this first one may not sound at first like it has a lot to do with today's topic, uh, but I promise you it does. Uh, But I've heard it said a number of times that uh, supposedly half of all marriages will end in divorce. And I've heard that is supposed to be true uh, even of the Christian community as well. And that's always uh, confused me. Uh, That statistic has never really set well with me because I always see so many godly Christian marriages out there uh, that have stood the test of time, Uh, far more so than the marriages of many of the non-Christians that I know. So even though I've heard that 50% statistic, on a number of occasions, I've never felt like it could totally uh, be true. It always seemed like the issue must be more complicated than that. Uh, And recently, a number of researchers at Harvard, uh, they changed the way that they studied the divorce rates among Christians. Uh, Rather than asking couples if they identified as Christian, they instead asked the question how often they attended church. And that makes sense because, you know, we all know a lot of individuals uh, who would claim to be Christian, but who aren't really Christ followers. I mean, they're Christian in name only. They probably haven't stepped foot in a church uh, in years. So if you rephrase the question to ask how often a couple attended church together, you're more likely to be able to distinguish between those who are actually active in the faith and those who are just, you know, nominal believers. And the results of the study published by Harvard are absolutely fascinating because first they revealed that those who claimed to be a Christian but never actually attended church, that group actually had a higher divorce rate than the national average. But for those couples who regularly attended church together at least three or four times a month, the likelihood that they would become divorced uh, was reduced by almost 50%. So instead of a one in two chance that their marriage would fail, there was only a one in four chance. So why why do I bring that up? Well, it's because, well, not because we're talking about marriage this morning, uh, but it's actually because we're talking about the the church uh, and the importance of being involved actively in a local congregation. This correlation between church attendance and a healthier marriage it is important because it shows you the importance of being connected to a local body of Christ. Uh, there may not be anything you know magical about walking through the doors of those sanctuaries and just sitting uh, in a church pew. But there is something significant about regularly sitting under the preached word of God uh, and about being discipled and encouraged by others in the same church. Uh, When we talked about the Bible last week, uh, if you remember, I said that it was living, uh, it was active, um, and it was sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, And if you uh, remember, I gave the analogy about the Bible being kind of like a scalpel. You know, it may cut you from time to time when you read it, uh, but its purpose isn't to harm. Its purpose is to heal It cuts out any of the remaining sin that is still dwelling in your hearts. But if you want, you can take that analogy even a step further. If we are the patients, uh, if the Holy Spirit is the surgeon, and if the Bible is the tool that the Spirit uses to operate on our souls, well, what does that make the church? It makes the church a hospital. The the church isn't a place to come because we are healthy people who want to be humored and entertained. It's a place that that we come to because we are sick and hurting people who want to be healed. So that's why church-going Christians have healthier longer-lasting marriages than non-Christians because we're regularly gathering together so that the Spirit of God can use the Word of God to mold our lives back into the image of God. Um, Every church service is kind of like a spiritual surgery that just brings more and more healing to our heart. So the more you go, the healthier your heart is going to be. But it's becoming uh, clearer and clearer that fewer in our society understand the value of belonging to a local body of believers. Uh, In 2021, for the first time in our nation's history, the majority of Americans didn't attend any kind of religious service. Currently, Uh, Only 47% of Americans surveyed say that they regularly frequented any kind of house of worship, Christian or otherwise. 47%. And that is down from 70% in the year 2000. So, just in the last two decades, or a little bit more than two decades, we went from 70% of Americans saying that they regularly attended in some house of worship across our country, it went from 70% to 47%. Even if you just look back at the COVID 19 pandemic, on average, churches in America saw about a 6% decrease in church membership between 2021 and 2019. There were 6% of Americans that belonged to the church before COVID-19 who never returned back to church uh, after the pandemic was over. So this morning, I wanna look at what the Bible says about the church uh, in order that we might better understand the importance of the church, which Christ calls His bride, right? Jesus obviously considers the church important because it was important enough to him that he married the church. So let's also see why we should value the church just as Jesus did. Um, And I know we've got some kids uh, here with us this morning. Um, So let me uh, just, I just want to make this outline as simple for us as possible this morning. Uh, But there are three ways in this passage uh, that we are encouraged to relate to the church. Uh, These verses teach us that you should love the church, you should be the church, and you should go to church. You should love the church, be the church, and you should go to church. So let's start with the first one. You are to love the church. Look at verse 23. There we're told uh, to hold fast to the confession of our hope uh, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So I know we haven't been working through the uh, book of Hebrews. Uh, We just kind of jumped right into the middle of chapter 10 uh, to look at these verses this morning. Uh, But prior to verse 23, the author of Hebrews was writing to his audience about Christ being the once and for all sacrifice for mankind. Uh, It used to be that the priest would have to offer daily sacrifices in the temple in Jerusalem, uh, but none of that spilled blood could actually wash away uh, any of our sins. It was all just symbolic. The blood of those bulls and those goats just was meant to point us to our need to the ultimate sacrifice through Christ. When his blood was poured out for us on the cross, that was what we needed, that that was all we needed. Jesus didn't have to offer himself up as a sacrifice again and again like the priests had to in the temple. His blood was sufficient to wash away uh, all of the sins of anyone who would ever become his follower. So that's what the the author of Hebrews has been reminding his audience of, this beautiful hope that we have in Christ. And then we, we finally get to verse 23, and he urges his readers now to hold fast to that hope without wavering. Now that's a very similar language uh, that's used all throughout the Bible. You can think back to Genesis chapter two, uh, when God first created Adam and Eve, uh, we're told there that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. So that that Hebrew word to hold fast, it's the same word that can also be used to describe something being glued together. So in Genesis, it's used to speak about the the kind of love that a husband and a wife should have for one another. Uh, They should love one another and cling to one another and become glued to one another as they become one flesh. And now... In the book of Hebrews, that same kind of language is being used to speak about our love towards Christ. We are to cling to him and to be glued to our Savior. And this all relates to our conversation um, about the church, because when you think about it, um, it's pretty hard to love and hold fast to Christ without also loving and holding fast to his bride, which is the church. The, the two go hand in hand. Uh, just imagine, for example, uh, if I said that you know so-and-so and I uh, were best friends. All right? This guy, I've, I've known him most of my life. I love him. He's a great guy. Uh, but then I said, man, I just don't really care for his spouse. So I never go to their house. Because if I went to the house, I'd have to interact with his wife, so I just avoid their home altogether. Uh, And whenever the subject of his wife comes up, you know, all I do is just talk negatively about her. I tell everyone how much I can't stand her, how annoying she is, how frustrating she can be. If I did that, well, I guarantee that he and I would not remain friends for much longer. Because if he really loves his wife, then he's not going to let me trash talk his bride. And the same is true with the bride of Christ, the church. Jesus isn't going to let you spend all day trash talking about his wife. So, So you can't say that you love Jesus if you don't also love the church. When you become a Christian, you enter into a relationship with Jesus and his bride. So you are to hold fast to both because they are a package deal. So you are to love the church. That's the first way you're to relate to the church. Uh, secondly, this passage teaches you that you're also to be the church. Uh, you are to love the church and you are to be the church. That's actually one of the main reasons why you should love the church, because the Bible teaches us that we are the church. Yes, we may be gathering inside a church building this morning, but ultimately this building is not the church. This church is made up of you and I. It's all of those who have submitted their lives to Christ and who have committed themselves to one another. We are the church. So look at uh, verse 24 to see what it looks like for us to be the church. It's here that we're told to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And if you ever skim through the New Testament, you'll know uh, that scattered all throughout the Gospels and the epistles are a number of of what are called one another passages. You might not have even realized that they're there, uh, but once you know about them and once you start noticing them, it's impossible to unsee them. The Bible says that we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to encourage one another. We are to be at peace with one another. We are to, to be of the same mind as one another. In this passage, we're told to stir up one another. If you skim through the New Testament, that one another actually appears a hundred different times. There's a hundred different passages talking about how Christians ought to relate to one another. And if you read them all, you'll begin to get a pretty good idea of what being the church looks like. And you'll quickly see that Christianity is a communal religion. It's something that you can't practice on your own. One person does not make up a church. You have to have a group of committed believers regularly gathering together in order to put into practice all of those one another passages. And specifically here in verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 10, we're told to stir one another up. To love and good works. Uh, When you think about that phrase, to stir up, a lot of times it has a a negative connotation. We'll say that, man, he is really stirring up the hornet's nest. Or she just loves to stir up trouble. But this kind of stirring up one another is actually in in a positive manner. Even though it does might mean, you know, it may mean that we actually have to get under each other's skin from time to time. You know, somebody may get a little frustrated if you're always giving them a phone call or when you haven't seen them come to church in a while. But what you're trying to do there is, is you're trying to stir them up in love and into good works. You're trying to provoke them to be more godly and Christ-like. And I would argue that this command to stir up one another, not to mention those other, you know, 99 passages that are those one another verses. um, I'd argue that they cannot be fully accomplished between 10 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Even if you come early and come to Sunday school and you stay for church and then you come back in the evening for service again, that still is not enough time to accomplish all of those one another passages. Being the church will require so much more. It requires breaking bread together in one another's homes. Uh, It'll mean that you've got to invite people over to your house and let yourself be invited into the houses of others. Uh, Being the church will involve Uh, taking a meal to somebody when they're sick and praying for them when they call you or send you a text saying that their day isn't going so well. Being the church will involve lovingly confronting somebody when you know that they're living in sin. It will involve urging other people to keep going, even when they're tired and they just want to sit down. Uh, Being the church means a willingness to Give somebody a shoulder to, to cry on when they need it. Being the church might even involve mowing somebody's lawn, shoveling snow off their sidewalk, uh, buying some groceries for them when they're in need, driving them somewhere if they don't have their own vehicle. That list could just go on and on and on. So, so let us not be a people who just say that we Love the church. Let us be a body of believers who is willing to be the church. Let us be a people who love to stir one another up to love and good works. Not just on Sundays, uh, but on every day. So, love the church, be the church. But lastly, this passage also urges you to go to church. Look at verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I also like how the King James phrases it, saying, not forsaking the assembling. We're commanded here, do not forsake the assembling. Uh, But I know that just as I I read that verse, I know that there's at least some of you out there uh, probably asking yourself, is he talking to me? Uh, Is is he preaching this passage because he's noticed that, you know, I've I've been gone a a few too many Sundays. Is he trying to just guilt trip me to come more often? Uh, well, Well, I promise you that I don't take attendance I'm not going to call you into my office someday like a principal would saying that, you know, you're going to get a failing grade because you've got too many absences. But if you felt convicted when I read those words, not neglecting to meet together. Well, that's likely the Holy Spirit's way of using this passage to speak to you. Because here's the thing. You can't love the church or be the church without also going to church. Uh, in the original Greek, that word church, it literally means the gathering. So if you're not regularly gathered with the rest of us, then you're not really part of the church. Now, I know that there are exceptions out there, uh, especially with those who have severe health issues or those who are uh, advanced in age, but those exceptions are Uh, just that. There are the exceptions to the rule, not the norm. There there are too many people who think that just having their name on a church's roster somewhere is their uh, get into heaven free card. I know people that uh, haven't attended a church in years or even decades, but if you ask them They'd still tell you, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a part of that church. I'm a, I'm a member there. Uh, I even met somebody in this community a while back who I had never seen or met before in my life. And I asked him uh, if he went to church anywhere. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a member at the First Baptist Church of Ewing. And I said, well, nice to meet you. I'm the pastor there. And he kind of hesitated and he finally had to say, oh, yeah, like, I guess it's been a while since since I've been. If the word church means the gathering, you have to regularly be a part of that gathering. If you want to say you belong to the church, there's no way around it. So watching a sermon on TV, it's not the same as going to church. Watching a live stream on our Facebook is not the same. Attending a Bible study is a great idea, but it's not the same. Even Sunday school, which is a great way to get to know people in the church. It's a great way to study God's word together. But even Sunday school is no substitute for coming into this sanctuary with the full body of believers who belong to this congregation in order to worship together and to pray together and to hear the preaching of God's word together, that there is no substitute for that. Not going to church is like saying you're sick, but you don't want to go see the doctor. When you're sick, the best place for you to be is to go to the doctor's office or to the hospital because that's where you're going to find healing and help. And since every one of us is born with the sickness of sin, this spiritual hospital is the best place for us to be. So even when your spouse doesn't want to go, go to church anyway. Even when you don't have anyone else to go with, still go even if you just don't want to go, that's okay, but go anyway. And I know I know, we've got some, some of the kids that are still in here with us this morning, uh, so let me just even talk to them for a moment. When your parents wake up on a Sunday morning and they're tired and they're thinking about not coming to church, feel free to give them a guilt trip. Give them those sad puppy dog eyes and tell them to take you to church because it's good for both you and for them. Families need to be in church together, worshiping as families. And don't forget about the end of verse 25 either because that's, you know, we're not only told to, to gather regularly with one another, but we're also told to do so all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author of Hebrews is saying that the closer we come to Christ's return, the more we need to be gathering and encouraging one another. Because the closer we get to the end of the age, the more difficulties are are gonna come our way, not less. There's gonna be more trials that the church is going to face. The, The world is gonna be a darker and darker place. So the more important it's going to be for all of us to go to church in order to better prepare for those trials ahead of us. And if you need any other reason uh, for us to be gathering together regularly as the body of Christ, uh, just listen to the words of Peter. This is First Peter chapter 5. Uh, This is a a famous passage where we're told that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When you see or you think about a lion roaming out there on the savannah, he doesn't usually go after the animals that are huddled safely together in the middle of the herd, Almost always he's going to go after that lone zebra who is straggling behind and who's far away from the rest of the herd. So if you're a Christian and you think that you can live the Christian life apart from the safety of the church, will know that Peter is saying that you are soon to be nothing more than a lion snack. You are the devil's next meal as he chases you down and devours you because you have left the safety of the herd. So this passage here in Hebrews, it urges you to love the church, to be the church, and to go to church. And I would just urge us as a church to let these truths sink in because that's the only way. Uh, that we can be the exception to some of those statistics that I mentioned at the beginning. I said at the start that less than a half of Americans regularly go to church. But what I didn't mention is that statistic holds true for Christians as well. Research shows that less than half of Americans who actually identify as Christian, those who claim to be Christ followers, less than half of them are regularly attending any kind of Christian worship service on a weekly basis. And if we don't care enough about what goes on in this sanctuary then how can we ever expect the rest of the world to give a care? I mean, we have to reclaim our love for the body of Christ. We we have to begin loving the church as much as Christ loves her. He loved the church enough to lay down his life for her. And it's only when we come to value the church as much as Jesus did that the world is ever going to take notice. The the prayers, uh, the preaching, the presence of the Holy Spirit within these walls, they have the power to transform lives and to bring the dead back to life. But if we want the world to be in awe of our church, we first must regain that sense of awe ourselves as well. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for passages like Hebrews chapter 10. Thank you just for the wonderful yet convicting reminder for us not to forsake the assembling. Churches like ours really are like a spiritual hospital where we can come to just have that sickness that is in our souls cured by the gospel of Christ. So, Father, my plea is that we would just come to rediscover that true treasure, that precious gift that the church really is. And may we do so all the more as the end of the age so quickly approaches. Because without the safety of the church, we have no hope of overcoming the obstacles of this world. So, I just ask all of this in Christ's holy and precious name. Amen.